I do not exist in this world for everybody to like me. That is not my purpose on this earth. That is not what God said I was on this earth for. He, when, when, when I am on this planet, my mission is not to be liked by everybody. My mission is to show up, be as true to myself as possible, be as kind to humans as possible, and then while I'm here, do things that bring me joy. It's been a year since the pandemic hit, and we're all trying to make sense of life as much as we can right now, myself included. With this in mind, over the next four episodes, we will be talking about the lessons we've learned after this year of quarantine, sharing insights and wisdom from our guests of the Next Right Step program that have helped many of us move through the last 12 months through their platforms and work. Have you ever seen that YouTube video of a man who randomly starts dancing on a grassy knoll? It's a hill. And folks start pulling out their cameras and pulling out their phones to record him. But because of his passion and his joy and the way that he shows up in that moment, people start joining him. They all start dancing together on the side of this hill and the energy and the joy is contagious even through the video. This video has millions of views on YouTube, and I remember when Mitch first showed it to me and I just laughed almost at the guy at first, but then with him in his joy as the video went on. He was the first domino. For so many of us, the spaces we exist in, we can exist in because of those who went before us, the people who were courageous enough to pave a path for us to follow the people who helped us see what we could become. But what does it take to really be that first domino? Whether it comes to writing books and having authors who aren't traditionally published actually getting published, or seeing people like us as BIPOC folks on screen in roles that we don't traditionally see. What really goes into that first domino having the confidence, clarity, and capacity to take that leap? Well, the answer is so much. (laughs) But when I think of this in the context of my own life, and in the context of this career that I'm building, I didn't have a lot of people who looked like me to look up to when it came to entering the space of personal development. There are some South Asian men in this space but not a lot of South Asian women or women in general for that matter. And not only that, but when it came to entering the personal development, mental health or self-help space, ethics were a really important thing for me to consider. Integrity. How do we show up in an intersectional way? How can we show up in an anti-racist way in a space that is predominantly white? And these were questions that through this pandemic, I started to grapple with almost on a daily, how could I show up as my authentic self and create space for myself in an industry that didn't have a lot of room for me? There are folks like therapists, counselors, trained mental health professionals who are there to intervene and support um, those who experience mental illness or those who are looking for that consistent support, myself included. 
And then we have others who are wellness coaches or folks who exist in the mental health space who, like me, have sought certifications, mine in positive psychology, um, or otherwise, and show up for folks in a preventative way to help folks develop and create the systems that they need to be and stay well, um, and to support them as they try and level up in life generally. And then we have folks on the other side of the spectrum as well. And that is where the integrity and ethics piece comes in for me, um, where I realize that when I show up and I'm teaching, I want folks to know that not only is it informed by my lived experience, by what I've gone through, what I've learned in my own life's journey, but that it's research-backed as well. And that it's also informed from the hundreds of people I've had the opportunity of interviewing over the last many years of my career. And so when I thought about this title, Resilience Educator, it felt like it encompassed everything that I wanted to be in the world. And when I first wrote it down, I was like, does this exist? I looked around, you had resilience experts, you had resilience researchers, you had different folks who were resilience coaches. But Resilience Educator was the title for me. And since I've been putting it out there, I've noticed more and more folks also calling themselves resilience educators. I got to be a little domino for some people to find their their way in their space when it came to the wellness industry and how they wanted to show up. Being this domino for myself and letting myself fully root into who I am, my own identity, my own lived experience, who I wanted to be as a professional, understanding why resiliency was so important to me, not just from a perspective of what I taught in the world, but also from the perspective of my culture, my faith, and my lineage as a sick woman. Resilience courses through my veins. It is something that my family has endured and experienced and and learned to become resilient for generations. And so when I show up now, as a resilience educator, creating my own path, my own way forward. I'm a domino that's supported by so many others behind me and beside me. And that rooting into that identity and that knowing of myself has been so helpful in helping me have the courage to take this unknown path in front of me. And now while the dominoes in your field might be very different, might have very different lived experience than myself or yourself, I genuinely believe that certain aspects like community, that that understanding of identity and culture, and our belief in ourselves that we can do hard things, all come into play with how we show up and how we trailblaze. Today, I'm going to be sharing with you part of my conversation with Lovey Ajayi-Jones, the two-time New York Times bestselling author, advocate, activist, speaker, and writer, and professional troublemaker. Lovey is someone who I've admired for so long. Her work is so impactful. The way she writes has me laughing out loud often. And we were both very grateful to be on Oprah's Super Soul 100 list together back in 2016. And in this conversation, we talk about so many different things, including unlocking the fact and learning that your superpower is who you are. 
And when you give yourself permission to be shamelessly you, it allows you to unlock that superpower even more. She also shares about how it's so important to surround yourself with people who see the bigger version of you and who can help you tap even more into your potential every single day. Now, before someone becomes <laughs> at the level and platform of lovey, or before the people that we admire become who they are, before we become who we're meant to be and continue on this path of growth in our lives, we all go through challenge. And sometimes that challenge can include feeling afraid to ask for what we want, what we need. This is what Lovey had to say about asking for what you need. You have to just move through by just doing it. It's not going to be easy where you're going to be like, great, I just, that's super easy. Just be like, ask, but be honest also. You can be honest with yourself and the person you're asking. Just, hey, I'm not used to asking, but I really need your help. Can you do this thing? Yes or no. A no will not kill you. People are so afraid of no that they will rather choose the no for themselves without even giving somebody else the option of a yes. So you'll be like, oh, I should ask them this, but I want to ask them. So you're choosing the no as mm -hmm. opposed to possibly getting a yes that could actually move you forward in a way. If you get the no, you're going to be okay. What is the worst case scenario? If the worst case scenario is no, so you're choosing failure in advance. So I am always like, ask, ask without necessarily, don't feel entitled to it, of course, but, and don't necessarily feel the expectation that somebody has to do this thing for you, but ask with hope, like ask with a little bit of gumption to just be like, look, you can say no, of course, actually don't even say that. Don't even get, start off with, you can say no, just say, I'm going to ask this thing and then ask. I'm, people just need to stop being so afraid of no, just mm. No, it's all right. It's okay. Who else really felt that? When we hear no, it can be hard. But it is always still worth going for it and making the ask. I felt exactly this way when it came to securing my interview with Michelle Obama um, on her Canadian stadium tour. I heard no multiple times. I think I've said like, I've heard it up to like four or five times during that whole year. And it was really difficult and at times demoralizing to hear no. And I remember the last time I decided to ask the organizers of the tour if I could be the one to do the interview. Kim on my team and I were having a conversation and I shared with her that I had the cell phone number of the stadium tour organizer from a few years earlier and she said you should just shoot your shot like just call him i had felt so i just lost the momentum around it i i felt like what's the point but because kim encouraged me to do it i actually went for it and i picked up the phone and i called the number and while in that moment he said you know we've got someone else lined up he also mentioned in the same breath but there's something else I might want to reach out to you for next week, so stay tuned. Well, that staying tuned and that asking in that moment led to me interviewing former First Lady Michelle Obama in front of 8,000 people here in Ottawa. So you don't know if you don't ask. And that was also the case with this interview with Lovey. I had reached out to, or our team had reached out to multiple people for the Next Right Step program. 
we had all of the folks that you're hearing from in this four-part series from the Next Right Step interviews and from the program itself, and none of them had said yes yet. (laughs) And lo and behold, Lovey was our first domino. She was the first one to say yes to joining us for the Next Right Step, and she had no idea how important that was for us. But I remember when it was Kim again, because Kim was doing our guest outreach last summer. She was on a Zoom call with me and confirmed that Lovey is available and is locked in for that day in August. And I actually fell off my chair. We were in a team meeting and lost it. I was so excited. And when you hear that, you might think, well, you know, This is something that we do in our business. Like, was it really that big of a deal? But it was because we had never done the Next Right Step program before. I was pitching something I had never taught or created. And and Lovey, one of our guests, said yes. And it helped me realize that although I was continuing to pave this new path for myself as this resilience educator, I was in fact paving the correct one. And that the more shots I took, the more chances I took, the more things I asked that I needed in this journey, the higher the likelihood became that yeses would come back to me. And that was a total game changer for me. Now, another key part of the Next Right Step program beyond community and self-efficacy, which is that belief in ourselves that we can do hard things, which is technically what I just talked about with getting used to hearing no's or being willing to ask, Um, And outside of our relationship to work and our relationship to wellness, another pillar that helps us build our resiliency and our ability to succeed through difficulty and in, in good times and bad is our impact and identity, our relationship to the bigger purpose we have in life, and also our relationship to who we are and where we come from. And Lovey is someone who has a very strong community around her of people who are also from the same culture as her. This is something that has supported me so much, surrounding myself with powerful, strong, sick women in business, women who understand Punjabi culture, who came up in the same way as me, who are trailblazing across industries. And when I had the chance, I knew I had to ask Lovey about what it was like to root into her identity and to surround herself with people who also understood that identity. I think a big part in, in my experience of what makes us generous in spirit and helps us show up for other people is when we're rooted in who we are and knowing who the fuck we are and our identity and our culture. And you are Nigerian. And I, you know, being Punjabi Indian, there is such a power that comes from connecting with people who are like us, who look like us, who elevate like us. I see it with you and Bose and other folks within the world with Jessica and others. And how has rooting into who you are, your identity, your culture elevated you from a community perspective? So sometimes we will take on what people think about who we are, but who we are is our superpower. My mm-hmm. Nigerianness informs everything. It informs how I write. It informs how I show up. It informs the food I eat. It informs everything that I do, it is part of my swag. It's part of my flavor that I bring in the room. Like I am always a Nigerian girl, even if I don't say it. And it's again, pushed me forward too, because I get to um, show up as I am again, to be somebody else's domino because I wanted somebody else who feels different, who, 
you know, is from a culture that's not white American to be like, oh, I can actually be me. Because I remember when it wasn't cool to be African. I remember when it wasn't cool to be Nigerian or to be a girl with an accent. And, you know, how it just un... How it, how it kind of like can hurt your psyche because it'll convince you that whoever you are is not good enough. Mm. And that will stop you from really doing what you're supposed to do. It will stop you from showing up in the full magic of yourself. I saw Daisy's comment where she said, you know, an ex-boyfriend told her that she the bright colors that she used to wear was not elegant enough. Fuck that dude. Oh, I, he can go to hell because... <laughs> Let me tell you what is not cool is if you are walking around as a beige version of yourself for what, for who, why, why would you not wear your bright color and show up and instantly take up whatever space that is, even if you're not saying anything, but the world gives us those statements. Often we get those in different ways. Different people will tell us we're to this or, Oh, you should tone that down. Tone what down for what? Cause mm-hmm. even if you tone it down, people still think you too much. Right. People will still be like, ah, you're like, how much do I have to tone it? Do I have to be like in a cage? No. So I just find it's a waste of time to be anybody but yourself because people will not like you anyway. So you might as well not like me while I'm being myself. Okay. If you're not going to like me, it's I'm not going to be over here bending myself backwards and be like, oh, damn. So then you also don't like the version of myself that I was trying to play this box for you. I might as well make my, my life way easier and just be myself. And then if you decide not to like me, that means we don't have anything to do with each other. And that's fine. Everybody don't got to like me. And that's, I do not exist in this world for everybody to like me. That is not my purpose on this earth. That is not what God said I was on this earth for. He, when, when, when I am on this planet, my mission is not to be liked by everybody. My mission is to show up be as true to myself as possible, be as kind to humans as possible. And then while I'm here, do things that bring me joy. None of that means force people to like me. So there's 7 billion people on this planet. If you don't like me, there's still 6.9 billion that I can work on. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. I mean, also, everybody don't gotta like us. That's too many people to keep track of anyway. Yes, too much pressure. Too much pressure. We don't got to be liked by everybody. Who humans are fickle. Nobody has time for that. Nobody has time for that. Human, you know, we talk about kids being like ridiculous. Adults also are ridiculous. So not being those petty people. So I was like, what I would not do is spend my time on God's good earth, forcing people to like me by trying to be like somebody else. That is too much work. I I'm too lazy for that. I would rather spend my effort and my time doing what I want and however it falls, I'll deal with the people who see me and who are supposed to be for me will be around. Everybody else falls by the wayside. So I get to create deeper relationships because of it. Not these shallow, broad relationships, deep where I can call them on FaceTime in the morning and they'll pick up the phone. Not the people who are like, Oh my God, they're so nice. They like me, but will they show up for you when it's necessary? So I just think that is important. So just dump the idea that people are supposed to like you. Whoever doesn't like you is not supposed to be your person. Mm-hmm. Your people squad. Your people squad should be full of people who like you when you're not feeling your best. They still like you even if you don't say that thing right. They still like you even if you're being petty that day. <laughs> we'll come back tomorrow and be better. You know, so we put so much pressure on ourselves 
to be these, um, I don't know, end all be all for everybody. Mm-hmm. The sooner we remove the pressure, the better our lives will be. Mm-hmm. No, we don't belong to everybody. I don't know about you, but it took me a long time to be okay with not being liked. But once I leaned into it, it changed my life. If you don't agree with the same things as me, for example, in a professional setting this last week, I had someone show up to me and question what it meant to show up in an anti-racist way. And instantly it was like, you're not my person. It's okay if you don't like me or don't believe the same things as me because I'm very firm in this value that is directly linked to my lived experience. It has been liberating to be okay with not being liked and to lean into the love of those who do adore me and who do show up for me and who are in my world like all of you. It takes time and energy and habit building to get used to being okay with being yourself and being okay with what shows up around you when you are wholeheartedly yourself. And I'm grateful because I also had a great example of this in my life. My mom, Shaminder Kaur Minhas, is a Taurus, is one of the most powerful women I know, powerful humans I know, and is someone who takes no shit from nobody, including her bosses at the hospital that she works at. When she first became a unit clerk, which is essentially the secretary of a floor on the hospital, the one who processes the paperwork, admits patients, um, does all the paperwork when they're discharged, that's my mom. And now she's the most senior uh, in terms of seniority at the hospital because she's been there for well over, oh my God, I'm 31, so close to 40 years. (laughs) But in the early days... Her boss tried to get her to wear a uniform, to get her to wear um, something that just wasn't her. And my mom refused. And instead, she continued to wear her cultural attire, her Punjabi silwar kameez, her suit to work every day. And she would wear her lab coat on top. But to this day, my mom represents herself, her identity and her culture everywhere she goes. Doesn't matter. And it's a habit that I've picked up from her. When I do public speaking events, my attire is vast, but it often at very important and big events includes a sari or a silvar kameez. And it's something I love to represent who I am, the culture I've come from, and so much more in everything I'm wearing and to own it fully. And so I want to encourage you to do the same to use the way that you show up, the clothes that you wear, to fully embody yourself. And it's something lovey also encourages us to do. What I'm doing right now, I, will, I, I just did in a 17,000-person keynote at one of the biggest ad agencies that's headquartered in Paris. And I would wear whatever I would wear today. I don't switch who I am based on what room I'm in because I want people to see the fullness of it and also to see that excellence shows up in different forms. Yes. Excellence is not just in the button up shirts and the, and the khakis and the, you know what I mean? Like excellence will show up in a t-shirt and three gold chains and red lip. And sometimes I'm in a fedora, like, or a baseball cap. Like, 
excellence shows up in all forms. And there are times when I will be asked to do or show up in a certain way and I have no problem doing it, but I'll do the opposite just to prove the point. So, mm-hmm. you know, I did a keynote at a major um, film studio for their company executives, like all the higher folks. And the dress code was business casual. I have no problem wearing business casual. I am a prep. I basically sometimes dress like an old white man from Maine, just because I enjoy blazers and button ups and Ralph Lauren shit. I'm super preppy on a regular day just because I like that stuff. So I had no problem putting on a blazer. That's me on a regular day. But the day when they said business casual, I was like, nah, I don't feel like wearing business casual. <laughs> don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell, he's like, don't tell me what to do. So what did I do? I showed up wearing a red sweatshirt with gold on it, with like grills on it, and some, and some snakeskin Reeboks. And I walked in, everybody else was suited and booted, and the first thing somebody says to me, oh my God, I love your outfit, thank you. And I took the stage and killed. And it was like, I want you to see that excellence does not look like the packaging you ask for it to look like sometimes. Mm. It needs to look different. You need to get used to seeing it look different. And for the employees who are internal, who were like, I'm not showing up as myself, I want you to get used to the person who shows up looking completely different from everybody else doing incredible work for you because yes. how dope they are is not tied to what they're wearing. Their yeah. hair color, their, their skin color. It's, y'all gonna take all of this melanin magic as I hold this mic and I'm gonna walk off the stage and you will hyper remember me. You're not, you're not even gonna be able to forget my name. Mm. So yeah, that's why you have to double down on being yourself don't feel like you have to switch in every room the world is so used to us switching who we are based in every room so then we are like well i gotta i I gotta fall in line no Mm. i would not sanction anybody showing up more like different from who they are unless who you are is just like completely raggedy which i doubt because if you're in this thing you're not raggedy okay you are somebody who is actively looking for ways to be better so you already are fine just as you are. Don't be afraid to show folks because we don't need everybody to be replicas of each other. That's boring. That's actually, that is absolutely boring. I'm not here for it. <laughs> Nobody needs that. Because we have no sponsors or advertisers, I get to do whatever I want during this ad break. And fortunately for you, registration for The Next Right Step, my eight-week master class program where I help you build your resilience, level up your organization and planning, and also help you reach new levels of success in life and work. Enrollment is opening on May 11th to the 18th, and classes start on June 2nd. And If you're enjoying this conversation and this series of conversations that we're sharing with y'all, you're going to want to be a part of this program. To learn more, head to komal.com slash TNRS. And I can't wait to see you in class. I'm Komal, and this is Lessons Learned. Today, I'm in conversation with Lovey Ajayi-Jones. She's the best-selling author of I'm Judging You, and the Fear Fighter Manual, and she's a speaker. And she gave a very, very, very famous TED Talk called Get Comfortable with Being Uncomfortable. It's been viewed over 5 million times, and it almost never happened. Being the domino sometimes comes down to being exactly who you are. So I've been a shady somebody since I was three. (laughs) This is me on my third birthday. 
But I've been this girl all my life, and I feel like even that's been the domino. Because in a world that wants us to walk around as representatives of ourselves, being yourself can be a revolutionary act. And in a world that wants us to whisper, I choose to yell. Back in 2017, I was on my own explorative journey. I had just left New York City, as many of you know, after working on the startup Dream Girl and releasing that documentary film to the world. And I was on my own journey of figuring out my own next right steps. And what I realized when I had recovered from the illnesses I was facing, a neurological illness, uh, and when I was on my way out of that recovery in the fall of 2017, I decided that it was my time to reach out to people and to ask if I could apprentice. What does that mean? It meant I was at this phase in my career where I realized there was something more for me. There was more that I wanted to do in the world. And there was examples of what that looked like a little bit in different pockets around me. One of those examples to me was Valerie Kaur, who is a activist and a civil rights lawyer and someone who was speaking at TED Women in New Orleans in 2017. So before heading down to TED, I had bought my tickets. I reached out to Valerie to see if I could support her while she was there, if I could help her backstage, if there was anything I could do to be a pseudo intern while we were in New Orleans. I told her I'd already paid for my ticket, for my flight down, and that I was at her use as she needed. And I didn't get a reply at first, but then I followed up and she did indeed reply. So when I was down in New Orleans, I got to see the behind the scenes of what it was like to prepare for a TED Talk. And I also got to see Lovey in action. What I didn't know at the time was that this TED Talk almost never happened. Lovey had been asked a number of times to deliver a TED Talk, and Pat Mitchell, the lead of TED Women, had reached out to her in advance of this specific event because Lovey was on tour with the Together Live tour with Glennon Doyle and many others, and they would be stopping in to TED Women. And Pat Mitchell asked Lovey if she would be open to doing a TED Talk. Lovey said no. Pat continued to ask why and, and clarifying questions, and Lovey had back-to-back events, so wouldn't be able to stay until the different days to be able to give her talk. So Pat offered her the opening slot of the event. And at this point, it was Lovey's community who supported her in seeing that this was in fact meant for her and that she should say yes. And it was that community who helped her get frosted and find beautiful diamonds to wear on stage from a friend in New York and who helped her decide what it was that needed to be said on stage as she rewrote her TED Talk in the lead up to the event. And it was her community who helped her really believe in and see herself in that moment that would then become a calling card for Lovey. Again, the power of community. Yes. When people see you bigger than you see yourself, when people will loan you power when you don't have power for yourself, it is incredible because that moment, everything about it, from what I was wearing to, yes, the diamonds to just how I stepped on stage to the fact that I was even doing it at all was based on the people that I knew who pushed me forward. Like it was based on my community being like, yo, you're going to show up in the best way possible and we won't allow you to do anything less. It is life-changing, it's transformative. It is the reason why 
I do so much of the things that I do is that I'm constantly surrounded by people who don't let me show up less than I am. Mm. Sometimes it'll be like, let me remind you that you're even bigger than what you think. So that whole TED experience really proved that. And that's um, why whenever I even watch or listen to it, I'm like, it just brings it all back to me how much it had um, such such depth in my in my journey. Every moment of my story is almost like a, it's like affirms itself. Like everything that I do and I go through is a lesson in itself. So I always tell people that even my TED talk was a TED talk to me. Mm. <laughs> it was me to always know that I have to chase the things that scare me. I have to be my own domino. I have to con continue to be surrounded by amazing people who will loan me power when I am out of power myself or just need extra boots of it. You have permission to want more and you deserve to get whatever that is. Mm -hmm. I think that is really key for people to hold on to. And like, if you have to write it down, write it down. If you have to put it as a post-it note on your computer so you see it every morning, you deserve that thing that feels bigger than you. Like mm -hmm. it is something that I want for everybody because people see me now and they're like, oh my God, Lovey has made it or whatever. And I'm just like, yo, listen, my life is truly a series of times when I've been like, yeah, that thing looks really freaking big, but I'm gonna try it anyway and see what happens. <laughs> and then I did that enough times and they actually happened. I'm just like, huh, I guess I'm gonna try, I'm gonna keep doing that. So I'm always like, I don't want people to be, um, intimidated by whatever, wherever they think I am or anybody like a Bose is. Listen, sometimes we will go in eyes closed. Like, okay, I know this is scary, but we're going to do it anyway. All right, I'm going to do it. And then all these wild things happen and you're just like, I can't believe it. That actually worked. Do that enough. Good things happen. Trust me. <laughs> Let's go. Trust me. We can't wait to see it happen for you tomorrow, lovey. Thank you for your time. Thank you for staying over with us. You are a blessing in this world and we can't wait to keep supporting you. The way that lovey showed up for us in that dialogue and conversation was the epitome of generosity. The advice that she shared, the stories that she told, the time that she took with us. It was so caring and so vibrant and it connected to so much of our audience. And after we said goodbye to Lovey, we did what we do best in the Next Right Step program and we jumped into breakouts so that we could unpack our brains after everything we took in from Lovey's story and journey. And this is what some of the participants had to say about the aspects of the conversation and dialogue that most resonated for them and that helped them shift their own mindsets. I think the biggest thing I took away was that oftentimes when you are in the spaces you want to be in, networking is in, has insurmountable value and I think it can lead to community, but we like write ourselves out of the equation all the time. It occurred to me that I've thought about how many people I've helped or done things for or said yes and I asked myself what I look for when I say yes to them. And it was like low bar, like passion. Was their message clear? Was their ask clear? And then I thought to myself, why would I not just expect the same of myself and make an ask to somebody else to develop that community? And I realized it bridges from being a level of insecure with yourself of saying, I don't deserve those things. 
And then in the breakout group we just had, we tied that back to at least culturally for us. Everything we earn often is tied to God or somebody else or your parents, as opposed to your hard work. And not that those things aren't true if you believe in them, but it's const- you're constantly taught for many, many years that you are insufficient in nature, even though you don't know that that's what you, you, you think. So I think it's really cool to hear Levy say like, who the hell told you you're not worth something? Or who the hell said you can't do it? Or what's the worst thing that happens after someone says no? Literally nothing. You're in the same spot two things that struck me that I think are worth passing on is, is um, one, it's tough to get this right. Um, I've been, I'm into the workplace in the 1970s for the first time. And I realized then, and I realize even more now, how much I got in my own way in the sense of, I knew I was good at what I did. I knew I had lots of of skills, but there was times where I'd be sitting in my office at seven o'clock at night and I'd be working and I still had the feeling that someone was going to tap me on the shoulder and say, you're not doing well enough. We want the money back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was when I was, you know, at my highest. So the kind of the, that self doubt that sense of us not being worthy or perhaps not living up is something that takes a long time to shed. And I just realized listening to her, it came back again. I, I, I shared that I took on a career and became a, started doing some artistic stuff recently. And I was loving it and I felt very good and I was accomplished at certain things. But when it came to pricing it, I did not feel worthy. And I think many women who, whenever we're selling, whether it's a service or whether it's a product or whatever it is, um, we, we run into that wall of not feeling that we deserve what it takes to ask for the thing that we're putting out there. Um, and so here I am, you know, 40 years later of work experience and life experience and doing all of these things. And I'm still running into that same damn wall. And I think she's lit a fire under me to figure out how to take a sledgehammer to that. That this conversation for me just made me feel so seen, um, which I think is a common thread for a lot of these modules, but this one in particular, because Lovey is here, a confident Black woman. And as a Black woman, I deal with a lot of self-doubt. And I find that I minimize myself a lot in certain spaces. And I wait for others to speak before I speak up. So having this confident woman who just radiates positive energy, who, you know, just kills shit, honestly, (laughs) is so inspiring to me. And and just understanding that she's always been very consistent in her ideas and and how she brings them to life. Um, and as I had shared, one of the things that really stuck out to me was you have permission to want more. Um, and I think coming from a, a personal like deficit mentality, I'm always like, well, I'll, I'll take as much as people give me, but no, I have permission, um, rightfully so, to want things and want to be able to manifest those things. And, and yeah, I don't know. I was just busy unpacking my whole life <laughs> during, during this discussion. It was beautiful. Yes, dear listener, you have permission to want more. You have permission to root into yourself, your identity, your culture, your background. You have permission to deeply uncover who the fuck you are. Because when we do that, we unleash. When we do that, we stay anchored. When we do that, we move through the world with so much more certainty, so much more courage and confidence, and we welcome in the support that we've always dreamt of. You have permission to want more and to be more. 
And this is something that I wish I heard earlier in my life over and over and over again. And so this is me saying it to you. You have permission to want more. Lovey shows us every day what that looks like. It doesn't mean it comes without fear. Fear is necessary. Fear is a natural part of the process. But we feel it and we move through it. And it brings in even greater things into our lives. I'm going to remember and hold in my heart so many of the lessons learned with Lovey today. And I want you to do the same. Because as I further embody being a resilience educator, I want you to further embody all that you are and all that you're meant to be in this world. Because the sooner you let yourself become all you're meant to be, the sooner you commit to this everlasting path, this ever going path of what it means to truly continue to become who we're meant to be, because there's no end. This is a continued process. The better off we become and the better off those we love become and the more fulfilled we will feel. And this is a journey I'm so happy to walk with you. And for those of you who join me in the Next Right Step program, I'm excited to do it even more intimately with all of you. And I want to thank you for being here this week. It's been incredible. Lessons Learned is produced by Rhaenyra Naidu and me, Gomal Minhas, with support from Daniela Ochoa. Our editor is Madison Foran. If you heard something that really resonated with you, then please leave a review over at Apple Podcasts. You can find all the episodes and other goods over at gomal.com. Until next time, I'm Gomal, and this is Lessons Learned.